Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Heavyweights Podcast. In one corner, standing at six foot three, two hundred ninety pounds of solid chicken wings, Dustin Urban. And this corner at six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds, the one, the only, Big Daddy Nick Klein. Welcome back to episode twenty-eight of the Heavyweights Podcast. I'm your co-host Nick Klein. Joining me as always is Dustin Urban. We have some more people in the studio today. We'll get into them later. You'll just hear them popping off every now and then. We've got Reeves as always, and then Travis Wright's in here. The NFL and NFLPA finally come to an agreement. Players have until this Thursday at 4 o'clock, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, to opt out of this season for COVID-related reasons. We've seen multiple players come on, you know, that are opting out. We've seen Marquise Lee was more recent. There hasn't been really any big, big names. Other than C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley, definitely the biggest name. Nate Solder of the Giants, but he's not the same player that he was three, four years ago. I get it because he's a cancer survivor and his son's battling it now. So that makes sense. Um, one of the Chiefs guards has opted out, but he's been in Quebec the whole time. He's an actual doctor as long as an NFL player, so he's set for life. So we have all these going, but what we need to get into is some of these fine details. So players are going to be required to wear masks. They're going to be required to go for a testing. They can be fined up to $50,000 each time, and more multiple offenses, their fines go up $14,000 each time. They cannot go to nightclubs, almost any venue where there's going to be more than 10 people within a confined space. So you're looking at church gatherings, you're looking at concerts, bars, uh, restaurants, and stuff like that. But another good thing that the NFLPA was able to get in with the NFL, which I think is the better rule, is if a player has safety concerns or health concerns with his family, but he still wants to play this year to make that money, the NFL, that NFL team will have to pay for him to be quarantined in a different household, but he needs to notify them up to seven days before week one. That works. I mean, that's good enough for me. I, I, at least they're doing something. Because we, at least they're coming out with this finally. I mean, we've had a lot of players, you know, speaking out against this, or not against this, but, you know, wondering what they were going to do when they finally, you know, came out with it. So normally also the players, within the first two weeks, you get a random drug test. It happens every year. Players know to stop smoking weed right before camp. You've heard Pat McAfee talk about it, multiple players. All you know time. exactly. Under the new CBA, though, they cannot be suspended for failed drug tests. They can be fined. But now they're going to have a three-week window to get all the players tested just because they can't just all go do it at once. We're going to have so right. many restrictions with getting there. So August 7th through the 17th is when actual drug testing will begin. It's a different window. The NFL has agreed, though, they will do testing each day. Like I said, the $50,000 fine, it's up to $14,650 per additional test. Players, though, on Tier 1 and Tier 2 are still going to be able to get that $350,000 minimum. Uh, tier 1, if they do have someone directly related to them or they have risks, they'll be able to get their salary for this year. It's all not going to be prorated into next year. So those are some of the biggest things. The last biggest thing that is going to affect games this year is teams are going to go in with their 90-man roster. And they have to get it down to 80 players within two weeks of camp. But this season, and this season only, Players can promote a person from the practice squad to the active roster up to 90 minutes before game time. I didn't see that. So I think we're going to see a lot more of teams going three quarterbacks on their roster, but you're going to see a lot of activations game day morning. So you're talking special teams players mostly, you know, a third wide receiver, a third tight end, stuff like that, just to have a little bit of depth. Overall, I think it's going to be better. I know a lot of people are more worried about what the MLB is doing. Rob Manfred is probably one of the worst commissioners we've seen in any major sport. He basically blamed the players this week for what happened with the Marlins. 
He said the players have to be better. No, the the MLB needed to make this more organized and give mandates and actually restrict players and where they're going. I think that's where Goodell's headed just because we've seen the NBA has been just fine since they came back. The NHL's doing just fine. They started this last week, and the MLB's the only league that's really screwing this up. Yeah, they they have not looked good. It's been an absolute shit show. You know, I don't I don't think they're going to finish the season personally. I think they're going to end up having to stop the MLB season, but we'll see. I don't think they're going to have to stop the season. I just think it's it's going to be a little different. You're going to see their expanded playoffs. You know, they're letting 16 teams in. You're going to go based off like the Marlins right now in the NL East are only 2-1, and one, so technically they're leading the NL East over the Braves by .4 on the win percentage because they got a 667. I think the Braves have a 656, so they're right. just they're barely ahead of them. So you'll get to that later in the season. We know what's happened with the Cardinals. So I think that's what basically sent everybody in the shock of the Cardinals having more tests. But clearly you can tell some players are not taking this serious. NFL has to get this down. You've got to have these leaders in the locker room saying, if we want to finish this season, the veterans are going to have to show the rookies the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brad, uh, Dennis Kelly, the tackle of the Titans, he uh, came out and said, I guess he's the dictator of mask, what I've read in a report. So, What report is that? Yeah. The dictator of masks looks like it's going to be the CBA collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that, that is just been, the, the dictator of masks is going to be the NFL. Right. right. It, it sounds like well, he's money. He's being, being a leader in the locker room. Like, hey, wear your fucking mask. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, that's I think all, that's all the NFL point. players are going to take this more seriously just because there's contact every play. This is going to be harder to get this league this season going. I still think it's going to happen. When though. you start taking money out of their pockets, they will start taking it seriously. Yeah, and I, we eventually will have some players come back. We we saw it in baseball, NBA. They decided, you know, their players start and they see that you know this can work in a small capacity. They're going to come back. I, I just think it's going to be a, a slow process. You know, I said last week on the show. I was iffy. I said the season would end, but I didn't know about 16 games. I'm still leaning more towards a 14-game schedule, but I'm more confident than I was last week just on playing 16 games, and I think it's because we're getting all these sports going right now. Yeah, as soon as it gets started, we'll be able to put some of these things to rest, you know, yeah. and that's normally, all I got to do. I know. Normally, we would already have the Hall of Fame game by now. It would be coming up this weekend, and we'd be getting into preseason. We're not going to have that. The only good thing is, is Frank, Frank Rack of the Colts talked about it. Some other coaches have talked. You're not going to have that rev up to get ready for that third preseason game where you're playing your starters and then, you know, let them all slowly back down and then get them all ready back up for their season because they're not going to be traveling for preseason. They're not going to be doing light workouts. They're going to go 14 days with no contact practices and then they can do they can do full pads and practice for the two weeks leading up to the season. So I think you're going to have a slow rev up to where you're just going to have more and more contact. I get it. You know, the old school players aren't going to say this – this isn't 10 years ago. This isn't 25 years ago. They didn't have to deal with anything like this. But I'm talking just the general of, you know, n- no full pads during the season and practice right. NFL, those rules. That has come, I just think, because the game has gotten so talented with the physical traits that these players, that we've grown over the years. It's faster. It's stronger. Injuries are more prone because you're playing at a higher level and a higher speed. I get you want the, the contact from years ago, but you're still getting that in today's game. You're just getting more flash of just pure speed and just offense and defense. We've seen so much evolution in the game. In the last five years alone, not alone thinking about 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. I just I, I don't like some of the new rules personally, but we're not going to get into that. I'm not talking about – yeah, I, I get that. I don't like some of the rules either. You know, I still think, you know, within five years, the, the kickoff and kickoff punt returns will be eliminated, but I don't agree with that. But it, it's a physical, violent sport. It's not going to change. You can just make it more – 
safer, I guess would be the better word to say with these helmets and everything to, to eliminate, you know, some of the, the neck injuries and stuff like that. Like there are some rules that I have agreed with you, over the years. You can, you can keep developing the equipment and stuff, but personally to me, you're never going to be able to make this game safe. I agree with that. But all right, well, let's just get into it. We had a question of the week this past week. Top passers of all time. I know we've all three or all four of us have our top three. Let's Speaking just get into safety. Yeah, let's get into <laughs> our question of the week. Yeehaw! Damn about them questions of the week, Trent. Do you have them questions? Then we have them answers. It's time for the questions of the week. All right, so another big week on Facebook and Twitter. I know we were sending these out every week. We put out a picture last Wednesday. Give us your top pass rushers of all time. We had a decent amount of responses. Most people just gave us one person, which is fine. Surprisingly, though, there was a tie for first. Dwight Freeney and Reggie White. Warren Sapp was mentioned. Derek Thomas, Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, Kevin Green. There was about five or six other guys, but it was weird that Freeney and Reggie White were both mentioned three times apiece. We got a lot of Colts fans. Which you can tell, but all-time, Freeney probably top, he's still top 10 all-time in, in sacks. It's unfortunate this wasn't an official NFL stat until 1982 or 1981. Right. Yeah, I got a guy for that. Yeah, so I just think it's a little little skewed in that sense, because you can still go back and you can find what players seem. So we'll just start off, Travis, give me your third best. My third best, uh, I'm going with the it's a defensive end, I'm going with Jared Allen. Oh, okay. I like him. Mm. I think he's sixth all-time right now still in sacks. Yeah, I just like his personality. Right uh, he's 12th. Game. 12th. I mean, I liked Jared Allen, especially, I mean, he was dominant not just when he was with the Vikings. He was dominant with the Chiefs, and they traded him over, and he was the one of the best premier pass rushers. I think he was a little underrated for a few years just because he played in the time with Julius Peppers and Demarcus Lawrence, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis. There was so many. Terrell Suggs. Demarcus Ware. Just so many. Right. He didn't have that, you know, athleticism like some of those guys had. I'm not saying he wasn't very, you know, athletic, but he didn't jump off the page, but he just got after it. And made Daryl Oski run out of the back of the That's end zone. He had a, he at least had a nineteen or a twenty sack season. I think he had a twenty sack season with the Vikings. Yeah. I think so, it was his second I think with the Vikings his first four years he was averaging over seventeen sacks a year. So I had no problem with that. Reeves, give me your third. Derek Thomas of the Kansas City Chiefs. I like it. I, the guy has the single-game sack record. He only played it in 169 games and wound up with 136 sacks. So he was averaging about 75% sack chance a game. And it's sad that he died before he could finish his career, but the guy was just one of my favorite defensive players of all time. I went with a guy that I'd never seen play live, but I've watched plenty of NFL films and seen him just – I'd pick Deacon Jones – you know, yeah, ma- master of the head slap, but he, <laughs> if they, like Nick said, if they, you know, took sacks. He'd be third all the time. Stat, he, like, yeah. he had, I think I looked it up, 179 career sacks. God. One of the greatest pass rushers of all time. Just reinvented the way defensive end was played and in the late And a scary 60s. motherfucker. Some of the biggest hands. I've met him in person. Yeah. Um, the, the Indianapolis had the Super Bowl here. I was able to shake his hand. And I don't have small hands. I'm a big guy. I'm 6'6". Six, six. He just dwarfed me. And, I mean, his hands are still mangled just because of that head slap. I mean, you're talking fingers bit in the wrong direction. Right, and it was a different game back then completely. One of the coolest people to watch in old interviews or anything. So anybody out there, just watch his old film or just any old interviews. He's, he's hilarious. I have no problem with that. Young fans, check him out for real. My third all-time is Derek Thomas. I think his career could have gone a little longer. He would have finished up there with Bruce Smith and Reggie White and some others. Uh, Kevin Green. 
I love the way he played everything you said. Unfortunately, everything got cut short because of that car wreck, and then I think he had a blood clot because mm-hmm. of because of the injuries. So that's fine. Urban, let's kick it off with your number two. I went with Reggie White. Uh, I don't think you. There's too many. You know, anybody can argue he's up there. <laughs> but I said it last week. He had 124 sacks in his first 121 games, and he's the elite. Or he's those Buddy Ryan defenses in Philly were right, and they had a hell of a defensive line yeah. too. Like yeah. you were double teaming him, but the rest of that defensive line was getting off too. And for him to have that big of sack numbers. And then what he did when he went to Green Bay, you know, was their anchor on their defense. He basically lifted him to the next level. Favre couldn't take him over the hump. I think getting right. Reggie White, the first big free agent to lead teams, because that's when free agents right. started in 93, he's the reason why they got over that hump. Travis, give me your number two. My number two is going to be surprise the defense attack. I'm going with John Randall. I like it now. Crazy so it's just, eyes. It's just surprised to see, like, what his capability is as a defensive tackle to have that many sacks as a pass rusher. And an undersized yeah. defensive tackle, but back-to-back Vikings, very surprising. Uh, I'm fine with that, too. I, the 99 NFC Championship game was on recently, and Randall, I think, is on his like 15th season at that point, and he's still controlling the line of scrimmage there up front. Hard to argue Hall of Famers. You no, know? It, so it's, it's really... It's, you can't really bash on anybody. Yeah, I'll go with my number two. I'm going with Reggie White there. Everything you brought up, Urban, I think he lifted his game to another level. I think he wanted to keep playing. Some stuff had happened. That's why you saw Bruce Smith come back and try to play a little bit more. Just They wanted to keep getting over that. I, those two were battling back and forth. Were For that exactly all time. time. Yeah. And just the 90s, those two, those two were just some of the most well-sought-after players, like defended players. I know – Bruce Smith got in trouble before one game because he was putting too much Vaseline on his arms so that way offensive linemen couldn't, you know, touch him. And Reggie White was the same way. I just – I loved everything about Reggie and the way he just handled himself on and off the field and everything. But the sacks, obviously, is why he's there number two. So and Reggie like, White's one of those guys that you could move around a lot. He's one of those original defensive linemen that you could plug in at defensive yeah. tackle, defensive end. Didn't matter where he's at. You found the weakest link and you match him up against it and then he's going to tear their ass up. Reeves, give me your number two. Bruce Smith, the guy is just – it was just a tough battle between my one and two, but Reggie had – So you're going with Reggie at number one? Yeah. Uh, Bruce only has two more sacks and played about, like, damn near 60 more games. Right. I mean – I mean, how Bruce Smith finished his career with the Redskins when he signed, still got 10 sacks. Yeah. If Reggie I mean, White just, didn't play in the USFL, yeah, he, he would be the all-time league yeah. sack leader. So I don't think he would have touched him. Travis, give me your number two. Or number one. I number one. This guy drove me nuts because I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan. I number one is Julius Peppers. Yep. For multiple, one of the most gifted multiple, athletes of all time. Multiple reasons. Um, nine-time Pro Bowler. Um, that's for there were four different teams. For the he made it with the oh sorry three Packers, Bears, and Panthers. Yeah. Um, he only played three seasons. He's a top bear, uh, top greatest 100 bears. I mean, I know that's kind of hard, but it's still kind of fun. Especially with that defensive um, history in right. Chicago. I mean, they've had a lot of great players there. Let's not act like that's not a big feat. I mean, even two years ago in his last season when he came back with Carolina, I think he still finished with six sacks. He was still a contributor at that yeah. age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, good. he could have played – he could have started on that North Carolina basketball team when he was there as well. I mean, just a physical freak. I think he's, what, 6'6". Six, six. Just big, broad shoulders could bend like no one else. 
Urban, though, let's get yours. I went with, you know, they say cocaine's a hell of a drug. I went with Lawrence Taylor, baby. <laughs> Come on, man. He's just the craziest motherfucker I've ever seen on a football field. I loved everything about him, for, except for, you know, maybe the prostitution stuff later down the line <laughs> but, and the cocaine charges. But other than that, man, he was just a savage on and off the field, and I, I love him. The big still gives Joe Theismann nightmares. Hey, man. But when he broke his leg, yeah. he was, like, worried about it's it. because he, he caught... saw what he did right. to his leg. Right. right. Too. No, I don't know. That severe injury. I don't know if I would have, but thanks for thinking that highly of me. But <laughs> let's, go. let's go with your number one. Nick, who'd you go with? I think the guy who basically invented the way defensive ends should play. I went with Deacon Jones, number one. I, I really believe that he is – he could do it all. We we know the head slap, but he also could speed rush. He was physically stronger. I mean, this dude, what was Deacon, 6'8", something ridiculous. Yeah, just, he's a big motherfucker. Just everything he did, every aspect of his game was dominant, but just the way he showed how to get after the quarterback when he was in L.A., just one of the greatest careers we'll see. I think he's underappreciated all the time when we talk about these sack artists. Everybody wants to throw out LT. Reggie White. What was that defensive line's nickname when he was there? They had a really cool uh, yeah, nickname. Um, I forget it, but yeah, sorry. Had the, I, I don't remember, but. I mean, I know Minnesota had the Purple People yeah, Eaters, yeah. and I, I honestly. And I the Steel Curtain was in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah, that was a little a little later, though. Yeah. The Steel Curtain was 74 uh, on. So. I know what you're talking about. I got right here. Okay. I mean, I really. I'm not too hung up on it. But. but the fearsome foursome. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Another thing about Deacon Jones, I've just heard multiple, multiple Hall of Famers talk about a guy that embodied the Hall of Fame and was about, you know, the Hall of Fame and what it should represent and everything. Deacon Jones was, especially I've heard Shannon Sharp say he was the greatest ambassador for the Hall of Fame. I'm fine with that. So we've gone through almost every position like that. We've done linebackers. We've done offensive line. We've done in-game. We're going to finish up with, all time next week with one last position that we've been forgetting about. We're going to go with greatest returner of all time. I know that's going to be a heated debate. And you got Devin Hester, Dante Hall. I mean, you have so those are the two that are going to come to mind. You had right. Josh Cribbs, overall Desmond Howard, um, Brian Mitchell, so many good players. Gail Sayers could needs to be on this list too. Just what he was able to do in a short amount of time with the Bears. So, so we're going top five, top three, top three. I, Top three is a little easier. It's just it's a hard position, and I, I think we can agree though that Hester, Dante Hall, Gale Sayers, like I just said, you maybe make a case for Brian Mitchell there or Josh Chris, but those three seem to come to mind every single time you want to have this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm argue that we'll shift it in though, and let's go in with Would You Rather because we got more people to debate this week to tell Reeves he's an idiot. Oh yeah, it's that time of week again where we throw out two blind stat lines and let you pick the player you would rather start. Would you rather? Alright, so this is going to spark another debate after the would you rather is over. So you guys are going to pick a defensive player. Alright, we're going to pick between two players and that's it. And you're going to have your franchise player here on your defensive side of the football. So, turnovers, how often they force a turnover per game in their career. Player A, every 3.4 games he forced a turnover. Player B, every 2.3. Tackles per game for player A in his career, 4.9. Player B, 3.7. Pass breakups per game for player A, 1.4. Player B, 1.2. So, these are defensive backs? These are defensive players. Uh Total touchdowns in their career, player A was with three. 
Player B was with 13 career touchdowns. That's a lot of touchdowns. It's a lot of fucking touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, shit, dude. Did you get all those, Travis? Yep. Mm-hmm. Who would you go with? I'd go with player A. Player A? Mm-hmm. Player A for me. I'm going with B. I like, put, let's score some points. Well, well, hold on, Reese. Why are you going with player A? Let's see what the uh, tackles the game was more like 4.9 per yeah, game to 3.7. Like it was a two, uh, the pass deflections, the guy, you know, I know he was a little bit over, but in the touchdowns, this is any position. I don't know. I just like him better. And it was the first one, 3.4 was. Turn every Turnovers. time, yeah. So player A, uh, three games. every three, three and a half games he forced a turnover. Player B, though, every almost every two games he forced a turnover in his entire career. They're damn near similar, besides the touchdowns. I'm going B. Player B played for 15 years. Player uh, A play, I think, for 12. Off All the right. top of my head, let it go. So you guys would be yelled at by Bart Scott. Did you see his comments this morning? No. That if you ever put Troy Polamalu in the same category as Ed Reed, you're an idiot. So, player A is Troy Polamalu. Player B is Ed Reed. I'll take Reed over that situation. See? Yeah. No. I still I'll take, take Ed Reed. More 62 career interceptions to Polamalu's third. I'd still take Ed Reed because he could play all over. And I know Polamalu did too, but I you think. Put that, Paul you put Polamalu with fucking Ray Lewis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he probably. He wouldn't it's have not, it in the box. It's not like Troy Polamalu was playing with any scrubs in Pittsburgh no, either. But he didn't have anybody that could. Other than James Harrison. Who's on the outside, not the middle Casey, linebacker? Casey Woodward two up front. Okay, but two none of them are Joey Porter. Yeah, Paul Mello had two. To Still ones. on the outside. Super Bowls. They had two. Paul Mello had Ed two. One. Ed Reed had one. one. He yeah. wasn't there for that first one. He yeah, wasn't Ed drafted. Had, yeah, Ed Reed had one. He was, no, he came uh, yeah, two years later. Both won Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Ed Reed, we've seen what he's one of the best ball hawking safeties of all time. He's got the longest career interception return of all time. Well, tied 109 yards. Yeah, you can't beat it. Uh, you can just tie it. He has the two I, I longest, still, actually. He I has still t- take Paul Molo if we read. I'd take Ed Reed. That fingertip uh, interception that he had was fucking dope. How many, oh, we don't, we don't do that. I mean, I mean, How many I what? Paul probably has twice the amount of sacks. Yeah, he, yeah. Paul Molo has. Yeah. I had it up. I think he had 30-some sacks. Ed, saying, Reed, yeah. Ed Reed had like 14. But believe it or not, Ed Reed was, was only 15 tackles for loss behind Paul Molo in his yeah, career. They're, I mean, they're totally different safeties. I mean, no. to me. They, yeah. They it was just interesting really that game. Bart Scott was on something this mor- uh, yesterday. I Can't think wait. Ed Reed was, was free safety, right? And Paul Molo was strong safety, right? I think they're both free. All I know is, according to Pat McAfee, is Palomalu or Palalamalu is what he said. <laughs> he lined up in the fucking B-gap and Pat McAfee was going to score his only touchdown. <laughs> and then he looked one up of the funniest, oh, like, <laughs> One of the funniest stories. He audible. <laughs> it's like he had never lined up in the B-gap his entire NFL career on a fake on that lineup with a kickoff and then he looks up and he sees Palomalu staring straight at him <laughs> and yelling Palalamalu was in the fucking B-gap and he had to yell like Red Rocket to audible out of him. Did you see when he interviewed him and asked him why the fuck did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like I don't know. I, I, just, just, I, just, I just, just did it. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just, like, oh, you didn't even know. He's like, no, I still didn't. He's like, okay, you ruined my NFL career. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm gonna think about my touchdown dance and everything. I look over and there he is in the B gap. All right, let's cut to a sponsor break and then we'll jump right into our interview with the Rams. Joining us now are Jake Oliver and Alexis Kraft of the Downtown Rams Pod, a subdivision of the DT Sports Network. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. So. 
to me, at least, maybe not to Dustin. I'm Nick, by the way, which everybody out here is going to know, but to you guys, to me, the Rams are the most intriguing team, I think, going into this season, you know, with the offseason. You know, we're, we're just two years removed away from the Rams making the Super Bowl. They've had this interesting, you know, we're going to give up draft picks. We're going to, you know, win now because the Super Bowl windows aren't big. To me, though, going into this offseason, I think it was crucial. You know, was, you could say it was a disappointing year. They got off to a slow start last year. The draft, we'll start with that. What was your first perception? Because you knew that once Gurley was going to be gone, you know, you had Cam Akers, Van Jefferson, I like that. Bryson Hopkins, even the tight end out of Purdue, I think is a little underrated, even though you guys are deep there. What was both of your guys' perceptions of this draft class this year that the McVay put together? Yeah, so, you know, I looked at this draft class, and, I mean, I was blown away. Um, you know, this is the best draft class I've ever seen the Rams make in recent memory. Uh, you know, you talk about getting Cam Akers, who at, at the start, um, anybody that saw our live stream during the draft knows that we didn't like the pick. Uh, that night, though, I went back, watched about 10, maybe 11 games on Cam Akers, and came to the conclusion that post-Jimbo Fisher era was just rough at Florida State. And one thing Cam Akers was good at is continuing to move those legs throughout contact in the backfield. Something that was going to, I think, translate perfectly well uh, to the next level when you talk about, you know, especially the Rams offensive line losing Roger Saffold last year, not really transitioning without him. Uh, just the youngsters on that offensive line, albeit you do have Whitworth, uh, I think that definitely helps. You know, somebody that can make things work, he can sift through trash in the backfield, and he's got some great speed, he's got some great pass-catching ability. Uh, just love the way he finished his runs. I love his balance. I love his vision. So I think Cam Akers was a fantastic pick uh, in the second round after further evaluation. But then Van Jefferson is somebody that I – like right away um, I know a lot of people will say you know they missed out on Denzel Mims I'll say mm -hmm. this both were very impressive at the senior bowl um, when I was there I can tell you right now Van Jefferson stole the show as a route runner I said from day one you know since I started scouting that class uh, Van Jefferson was the best route runner in the entire draft um, so I think they got the best route runner in the draft and I think that'll translate well to the NFL and then the third round you know, Terrell Lewis wasn't my choice if you were going to go after Edge. Uh, would have preferred going a little bit earlier uh, with Joshua Uche, who I really think the world of out of Michigan. Uh, I think he's going to be huge for the New England Patriots. But Terrell Lewis, you know, that length, six foot six, he fits what uh, pretty much what uh, somebody like Brandon Staley, new defensive coordinator, is looking for on the edge. Uh, so I get that. And then. Terrell Burgess is like a friend of ours. He's been on the show twice. Um, so, you know, we're, we were really happy to see him become a Ram. Um, and then Bryson Hopkins, you know, just to talk about, you know, the top uh, guys that they drafted and not go through the entire draft. But Bryson Hopkins is somebody I spoke with in person at the Senior Bowl. And he told me, he said, they really like me and they like me with Tyler. And he did not mention Gerald Everett. And, you know, I, as soon as he said that, I went on Twitter, I reported the meeting, and I said, you know, I, I think they're going to end up snagging him. I really do. And I think it's going to be in, like, the second round. He was my number one tight end. And, uh, you know, the fact that he fell in the fourth round, 
And, uh, you know, fans thought I was crazy that, you know, the Rams would go after him and then they drafted him. Well, you know, kind of goes to show you, you know, this league, it's, it's next man up. And, you know, even when you have that title or the second round pick or the first pick in the Sean McVay era, sometimes even that's not enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I get that with Bryson Hopkins. I think if Purdue would have had that bigger year this, this past year that many expected after what happened with them two years ago and they had, they played Auburn in the bowl game. I think Bryson should have rose a little higher. Van Jefferson, I think is a great route runner. Like you said, you know, the one thing I would say is he's more polished right now than Denzel Mims. He's going to fit that scheme better. You know, you lose Brandon Cooks to the trade, but Cam Akers, I think has bigger shoes to fill. So I'm just, we're get, get right to the point. You know, Gurley's gone. He's in Atlanta now. Do you expect Cam Akers to take more of the shares of reps this year with this COVID situation and everything? Or what should we expect from Cam Akers with Sean McVay and the Rams this year? Certainly a good um, question. Um, <laughs> uh, Alexis, you can go. <laughs> um, I think that Cam will take most of the reps at running back um, for the Rams. I the thing about where Cam Akers was selected in the second round, that kind of told me that they weren't really looking at uh, uh, Darrell Henderson as a starting back, which is something that I um, pretty much uh, felt as well. Uh, so I do think that the Rams, though, are moving kind of towards that running back uh, by committee uh, scheme that most teams in the NFL seem to be uh, following. So while I think they are doing that, I do think Cam uh, is the quote-unquote replacement for Todd Gurley. I obviously don't think that he's going to have as significant of an impact as Todd Gurley, at least right away, but I do think that he's going to have a lot of responsibility in that Rams offense right away. I think Darrell Henderson um, is going to kind of be the second guy in there, but I don't think that, that he's going to get uh, as much attention um, as Cam is. It'll be interesting to see that. So one thing, you know, there's so many things, like I, I keep saying, like the most interesting team. We move on from the draft. Let's get into free agency. I know Urban's got some big questions here. Yeah, I mean, you're, you guys were a lot of t or a team with a lot of turnover. You know, you lost Corey Littleton, and you bring in, not to replace him, but you bring in, you know, a Leonard Floyd, a big-name free agent. And then a Sean Robinson. I wouldn't say big name there. I mean, he's he's <laughs> their biggest. See, thank you. He's their biggest name free agent. They brought. But he in. was a first round bust. Yeah, so he far. is. A, I wouldn't. I'm not. Okay. I'm just saying he's their. You know, already going to argue. He's their headliner. Um, what do you expect out of this free agency class that you guys brought in? Are you are you happy about it? Like, you think it's just some stopgap players? What What's your overall perception of it? Yeah, um, you know, I I gotta say uh, I'm I'm with you there on the the Floyd thing. I I don't I don't really know what they were doing on, on that to be quite honest. Um, you know, I think you paid a guy who is a big name because he was a big bust. Uh, right. Top dollar. Um, you know, the way I look at it is that money right around the amount he received was what Corey Littleton got with the Raiders, yeah. and I, people make the excuse well. You couldn't bring back Corey Littleton because you just you can't pay an inside linebacker that much money. I'm like, look, oh, wow. I don't I don't give a crap, you know, like what like the money value is. If if Corey Littleton is your second or third best player on your defense, you bring him back, you know. And it's really? just like 
But to me, I felt like they lost free agency the moment they let him go. Um, Michael Brockers bringing him back was surprising because I remember it happened at like 8 in the morning, which meant it happened at 5 a.m. Uh, Rams time. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it, I didn't think he was coming back. I mean, everybody felt like he was signing with the Ravens, but it was a little weird how that was never official. It was like he agreed to terms, but it was kind of floating out there. Uh, one thing that's kind of going under the radar, though, because uh, everyone brings up Leonard Floyd, uh, and albeit, I mean, you know, he's a pass rusher. Or he's, well, he's he's not a great pass rusher. He's more of a run defender. Yes. Uh, but he's an edge defender, so that, you know, that's like the sexy type of thing to bring up. But Sean Robinson, he struggled last year, but in 2018, he was an elite defensive lineman. Um, and that's not just my opinion. Like, when you watch the film, it shows, but – even Pro Football Focus ranked him in that category. He really uh, came on strong. So I think last year was just kind of like a mixed bag of like just complete garbage on the defensive line for the Lions last year. They couldn't really get anything going. I think it hurt Sean Robinson. So instead, uh, they decided to let him go, and I think the Rams are going to reap the rewards there. Uh, you know, having him and Brockers to be able to kind of rotate uh, you know, especially with the emergence of Sebastian Joseph Day, and of course you have who's going to end up retiring as the greatest defensive player of all time, and Aaron Donald. I mean, they look pretty good there, and and I think that you know I'd say that Ashawn Robinson was the highlight of free agency, but by no means did I like uh, the way they went in free agency. It was really just the Ashawn Robinson, Michael Brockers thing, um, but I felt like they fell really short, and they also keep in mind, guys they released Todd Gurley. They didn't find a trade for him. They basically just flat out released him. And we're we're like, we're going to pay a premium just to not have a guy that had 14 touchdowns on our, on our roster last year, despite all the knee ailments that everyone's talking about. Yeah. I mean, we all expected Gurley to have, you know, to have that workload limited, you know, McVay said it. I kind of expected that. I was still a little surprised they walked away because running backs almost a dime a dozen. You hear it all the time, but we watched the Rams. We watched them invest so much in Gurley. Yeah, once you pay him, you kind of got to keep him around in my eyes. But Alexis, this is for you. So you you bring in Brockers and Ashawn Robinson on that defensive line for with Aaron Don, who is we no one can argue is the best defensive player in the league still right now. But the secondary was a little bit of a question mark, you know. Nicole Roby Coleman walks away. You trade for Jalen Ramsey. Do you expect a long-term agreement to come soon for Jalen Ramsey? And what do you expect out of this secondary here for the Rams this year? I mean, I would certainly hope that the Rams lock down Ramsey uh, soon. I mean, you just have to think about how much we gave up for him. And anytime you, you give up uh, that amount of picks for a player, uh, you better make it worth it and you better sign them long-term or it was really for nothing. So I really hope, and I do think that they will um, get a deal done uh, with Jalen Ramsey. Um, as far as the Rams secondary goes, uh, I did not like the release of Nikel Roby Coleman because I am not super confident in that second corner position for the Rams. I mean, you obviously have Jalen Ramsey as one of your corners. And then right now, most likely starting at corner uh, opposite him is Troy Hill, who is kind of a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on Troy Hill. I don't really think that he's like a starting caliber corner. Um, I think that he has had his moments where he's played lights out, but overall I'm not like it's a super high on him. Um, you know, we drafted uh, David Long, 
uh, who's a corner who could potentially come in. I don't know if he's ready or not because we haven't seen much of him. And then there's some other guys kind of like Darius Williams uh, who could fill in. And then, you know, we drafted two safeties as well, you know, Terrell Burgess and, and Jordan Fuller. So I'm not super confident um, in the Rams secondary, honestly. I mean, I think um, the loss of Roby Coleman was, was really troubling to me. So I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot of guys there, but I, I, it's a real big question mark for me right now. I have no idea what to expect from them. Yeah, I was a little surprised that it was just a one-year deal to Philly for 1.3, I think 1.35. It didn't make sense to me. I know – LA's your guys's cap space is a little tight. It just didn't make sense to not bring that that veteran leadership, and then you have a solid, at least a slot corner right there. You know, I guess I just don't get that. We've seen you guys have both talked about what they gave up for, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey, what they traded in the past, you know, Brandon Cooks and everything. McVay's almost been copycatted the last couple of years on trading and getting the Super Bowl tight window getting everything in, not relying on the draft. It's just, it's been a little weird this year to me, but I think all the chips are in the basket for, you know, the Jared Goff and Sean McVay connection. So this is to both of you. What do we expect for a down year last year, which I think it was just more of a Super Bowl hangover. I still believe in Goff. What do you guys expect from Goff in this offense this year with McVay still there? Because to me, McVay is still one of the best young head coaches in this league. Yeah, I, I mean, with Jared Goff, uh, it really just comes down to can he find his 2017-2018 self? Is he, was he completely broken in the Super Bowl? Um, that's definitely a question you have to ask yourself. I mean, right. like, we've seen, you know, Super Bowl losses ruin players. I mean, just look at Cam Newton. Like, for real, like, since his MVP season, he has struggled to get back to that level. Um, one could argue Matt Ryan has struggled to get back to that level. So, you know, that narrative I know has been passed around. Bill Belichick ruins people, whatever. But I, I think it's there's some truth to it. Now, here's the thing with Jared Goff, though. Uh, when he had the number one offense of line in the league, uh, you know, the, the year they won the Bill Ford Tough Offensive Line in 2018, um, you know, of course, he's going to have those games where you see, like, just complete lights-out behavior. Uh, like, you know, the the Vikings game where, I mean, he threw literally a perfect game on Thursday night. Right. And that was the only going to win that game. Um, but this year, losing Roger Saffold, we start to see how you take one piece out of that, you know, tandem, and now everybody has to learn to kind of play with that new piece. And then you have the injury. So you lose no boom and you lose Allen, and then all of a sudden you're throwing in, you know, fifth rounder, uh, you know, David uh, Edwards, you're throwing in uh, Bobby Evans, you know, you're, you're training for um, Austin, uh, or not Austin Corbett, I, I'm forgetting the other guy, um, but you're training for uh, the kid from the Cleveland Browns, who I'm a big fan of, but I mean, he wasn't even playing. So, and then you're, you're moving him right in at left guard. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I think that is part of the problem with Jared Goff is that there was inconsistency on the offensive line. I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to blame Sean McVay a little bit, uh, because as much as I love the guy, and I mean, I stood right up on the table and voted for him to be head coach before Fisher was gone. Yeah. Uh, Sean McVay has shown you 
you know, there are some instances where he is not a finished product. People need to keep that in mind. Um, you know, he, he still struggles in the red zone like he did with the Redskins. Uh, he still struggles calling plays. Um, you know, you, you can point to multiple instances where, you know, they looks like they ran the same play in the same circumstance over and over again to the viewer. You know, how does that look when, you know, to a team that's dissecting film and going over all the tendencies throughout the week, the game plan? Uh, probably not good. So, you know, the bubble screens and the overplay calling I, and the, the lack of balancing of the running game and passing game, I also think hurt golf. But golf definitely regressed for more than that. I mean, he just didn't play as well. I think the thing that you have to look at is the last three games of the year, um, back when, you know, the Rams finally had that continuity on the offensive line. Edwards looked good. Uh, Blythe looked good. It was Austin Corbett, by the way. Uh, Blythe looked good. Um, you know, Edwards looked good. They all looked good playing with each other. And I felt like, you know, you saw that offense start to pick up a little bit. And if they can build on that end of the year, I mean, we'll we'll see. Personally, I think you're going to be seeing a very similar uh, offense between the 2017 and 18 team. But um, you know, I've been wrong before, so, you know, we'll see. No, I, I get that. So, you know, you, you bring Andrew Whitworth back. We saw his struggles early off last season. You know, Blythe coming over from the Colts two years ago was a blessing in disguise, a solid starter. Do you think just yes and no, you don't have to get it. Alexis, you can get it on this too. Is it more of the offensive line needs to step up and protect Blythe a little bit better and open up the running game a little more? Or is there just more into, you know, like you said, McVay's play calling? I think it's a little bit of both. I think last year was such a, a weird season because it kind of seemed, at least from the perspective of a Rams fan, that just everything went wrong. I mean, you looked at the offensive line for the majority of the season was a mess. The play calling was a huge question mark. I mean, I think when you think of the, the play calling from last season um, in regards to the running game, People had no idea whether it was just Sean McVay not wanting to utilize the running game or if there was something wrong with Todd Gurley or what was going on. Um, I do expect McVay to open up the running game this season because of how poorly it went last season when he didn't use it. So that's why I do think that Cam Akers is going to get a lot of action. Um, and then I just think the offensive line um, towards the end of the season, at least for the Rams last year, they did improve. You saw some, uh, them kind of change up the line. They added some rookies uh, in with the starters, and it, it went well. Um, but I do think kind of in regards to how that kind of plays into Jared Goff, um, I think that last season I would say a lot of his um, uh, downfall was the offensive line, but I do I tend to fall in the camp that like his decision-making last season just was not um, up to par. A lot of the decisions, if you watch the film that Jared Goff made, as to who he threw to, throwing it out of bounds, um, losing track of his receivers, all of that, I think was just kind of sloppy on his end. But I do think a lot of that is psychological when you're not used to getting hit uh, because your offensive line is crumbling, which he wasn't because two years prior to the year he went to the Super Bowl, he had all this protection and he literally had no experience um, having any pressure on him, really. And then he went from that to being constantly under pressure. I do think that it was a really big culture shock to him. So I think that if the offensive line um, improves, we are going to see a really successful Rams offense this season. 
Yeah, it seemed to be a little disappointing at times. I expected more out of golf this year, but the more I watched, it was a little bit of a mixture of both, especially the offensive line. We saw Whitworth wasn't the same and then everything else. So it puts it better into perspective there for me, especially anybody out there that I hate when people just say, oh, the Super Bowl hangover or golf just hasn't been that elite quarterback, which he's never been elite, but he's been really, really good, and they just automatically wrote him off last year. And then we come back to, you know, we got a lot of turnover on this defense. You know, with the loss of Wade Phillips, you have Brandon Staley coming in as a defensive coordinator. You know, what what do you guys think is going to be – what are your expectations for their, you know, overall record and that defense heading into the 2020 season? Yeah, so, I mean, you look at this defense, and, I mean, you have to be excited about pretty much everything except for the linebackers because the linebackers are more, you know, wait-and-see approach, the inside backers. But uh, outside, I mean, they have a lot of depth there. Um, you know, they don't have any superstars, but they have guys that are going to come out of the woodwork and people are going to be like, oh, okay, okay, he can play. Um, Obanai Okoronkwo is a name to keep in mind. Uh, you know, first year, he basically didn't really get a chance to play much because – well, he had, um, you know, he had a foot ailment going on. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I think he's somebody that can come in and do something. Uh, Ja'Kai Polite, he was one of my favorite pass rushers in last year's draft. Had a little bit of a mishap. I don't really know what happened or much of it. But one thing's for sure, a lot of people know about this. Uh, at the Combine, he met with one team in particular that absolutely loved him, and he loved them, and that was the Rams. So they didn't draft him in the third round, but instead they got him, uh, you know, another team's trash to be another team's treasure. I yeah. like him a lot moving forward. Um, you know, they have Samson Ibukam, who I, he's had one, uh, you know, extraordinary game against the Kansas City Chiefs that kind of put him on the map. But I still think, you know, he's somebody that can be a solid piece. You know, talk about the aforementioned Terrell Lewis. Uh, so they have, you know, pieces on the outside, of course, Leonard Floyd's going to help more at the run game. You talk about up front, you know, we already discussed the defensive line, but uh, one thing we were talking about the, well, you guys were talking about the secondary. I didn't get to really chime right. in on this part. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I think the secondary is going to be very good. Um, Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in football, in my opinion. Uh, don't let Stephon Gilmore's two great years throw off everybody else because Stephon Gilmore in Buffalo was not very good. I don't feel um, like stretch at all saying that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I think, I think Jalen Ramsey has always been the best cornerback, you know, since his time in Jacksonville. I mean, I don't see where he ever lost that that moniker. Uh, right. But you know, and, and he plays like that. Like he he knows that. But um, you know, I think he just what he does, the way he's able to keep in mind, this guy's very versatile, and they're going to use him as a defensive back. Now, he will be a corner, but they do also want to take advantage of the fact he can play safety. And there were a lot of teams that looked at him as potential safety uh, in the draft that he came out of. So, you know, when you have that versatility, you can play bump and run. You can play zone. You can really do whatever. You're that physical. Uh, you know, I loved Marcus Peters, but it's not, it's not foreign to think that, you know, Jalen Ramsey loves contact and Marcus Peters – likes to make career decisions, you know, where he doesn't actually want to, you know, go after that big hit. Uh, so, you know, I think Jalen Ramsey 100% is the best corner in football. And then you look over, it doesn't really matter who's number two, 
because they're going to play off Jalen Ramsey. <clears throat> you know, he's going to make whoever whoever is around him better. But I'll say, I think Troy Hill really came on last year, surprised me. Um, I do think he is a starting caliber corner in the league. I don't, I wouldn't call him uh, a top flight, um, but I will say that the Rams might have somebody that could breed into that, and that is Darius Williams. He's uh, he came from UAB. Keep in mind they shut down. They yeah, they shut down um, UAB program. And basically, he came back, and uh, you know when they brought back the UAB program, he was one of the first. And you've seen that team, you know, if, you, if you've been watching college football, albeit we probably won't get it this year, but UAB has been on uh, a good run lately. And uh, you know, he was part of that kind of rebirth. He went to the Ravens as a UDFA; they loved him. And when Jimmy Smith came off of the injured list, they had to cut him, and they tried to you know, kind of sneak him on the practice squad. Same thing the Rams did a few years back. Uh, Marquis Christian, a draft pick, got cut by the Cardinals. They tried to sneak him on the practice squad, and he ended up being with the Rams for three years. Uh, the Rams did the same exact thing with Darius Williams. And this is somebody, he had the highest grade of any cornerback besides Jalen Ramsey in the league uh, by PFF the last quarter of the season. He finally got a chance to play. He's a playmaker. He's got the size and he's got the speed and the athleticism. Uh, love him. I think he could end up starting. Um, and then, I, I mean, you have three great safeties. You know, yeah. I think Terrell Burgess is going to be a star. Uh, I think he'll be better than Taylor Rapp. And I think Taylor Rapp's really good at operating around the line of scrimmage. Uh, he struggles in coverage. Just keep him out of, you know, those, those big cover plays. And then, of course, you know, John Johnson III, who's probably a one-year thing at this point. I don't think he'll be brought back. I just don't think, you know, hearing that the cap is going to be kind of cut a little bit, uh, I just don't see the Rams be able to afford him and Cooper Cup. Uh, so for that right. reason, I mean, you know, you see those three safeties, and I think there's a lot to like on that defense. Um, I was a little confused why they got rid of Wade Phillips, though, because I, I, I firmly believe Wade Phillips is maybe the greatest defensive coordinator of all time. And – he was the only reason you had a chance in hell of winning the Super Bowl because Sean McVay's play calling and Jared Goff's play as a quarterback and the running game and the, you know, unable to block offensive line that was stout the whole year was not the reason you were in that game. No, I, it's always going to be surprising. I, I do expect, you know, some big things out of the defense. You know, I am a little concerned uh, with the secondary. I know you're not with Jalen Ramsey, but Alexis, we'll start with you. Give me your predictions, though, for what you expect out of the Rams this season, whether it be competing for the division. I have them finishing second, believe it or not. To me, a minimum of wild card needs to be the expectations for this, this Los Angeles Rams team this year. So we'll start with you and then we'll go to Jake. Yeah, I have the Rams getting the wild card um, this season and, and making the playoffs. Um, I think that the NFC West is going to be probably as competitive as it's ever been uh, this season. I think that, unfortunately, that hurts the Rams, especially with kind of the way the draft and free agency went. I uh, I don't think the Rams necessarily, quote-unquote, got better um, in the offseason. I think that they just did the best that they could to kind of replace what they lost. Um, so I do think that they might be able to manage – to get that wild card. I think it's really hard that they um, 
are in the same division as the Seahawks. I think that's really going to hurt them. Uh, but overall, I do think that they should be able to uh, get their way in the playoffs. Okay. Jake? Yeah, I mean, with the seven teams now uh, up for grabs, I think the Rams are going to the playoffs. I, I'm not really worried about that. And I, I don't think they'll be the seventh team either. Um, I tend to like them more than Seattle, although I do think that Russell Wilson um, is just a total wild card in a sense. He can turn a I, – and I think Seattle has had teams that would have been 5-11 and 11 with most other quarterbacks. Yeah. He can turn the teams into 11-5. and five. Uh, What he does is just unbelievable. Uh, but the Rams have had the Seahawks number over the years, albeit last year, you know, they kind of split. Um, I have to say this year, though, I think that there's going to be uh, three wildcard teams. They're all going to come from the NFC West. But I tend to agree with you, and I think the Rams are finishing second. Um, and I want to put them ahead of the 49ers, but I just can't. Uh, and, and I don't know why, because, you know, the 49ers also could have a Super Bowl hangover, and I, no one has talked about that uh, right. premise. It seemed like it was just the Rams, because I think it's part of the problem is when you play Bill Belichick, that narrative just is catches <laughs> like wildfire. Uh, but, I mean, to be honest, you know, the Rams, they have loads of potential, and they could be a team that goes 14-2 and two for all we know. But there's just too much there where you look and you're like, okay, there's a new special teams. Like you got rid of the best special teams coordinator in football uh, and you replaced him with a guy that's been fired six times. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a rookie defensive coordinator. Um, you know, you had Todd Gurley's no longer there anymore. A guy that had 40 touchdowns over the last two seasons is now gone. Um, you know, you, you talk about like losing those guys and it's like, I mean, they're, they're going to have to, you know, come back from that. And I think a regular off season, it was going to be tough to turn it around. Uh, but it's going to be especially tough in this pre unprecedented off season uh, where, I mean, they're basically spending no time around each other. It's all, you know, zoom chat really. So, right. I mean, in that sense, you have to worry, but I think at the end of the day, the thing that levels the playing field is everyone else is going through the same thing. I think the Rams schedule being a third place schedule is favorable for them. And I had them, uh, I believe I had them at 11 and five, just going through and, and giving them, you know, wins and losses. Um, there are some tough ones and they start off the, the year uh, Dallas um, and then they go to Philly, I believe, and then Buffalo. So it's not, you know, they, they play Dallas at home and then they have a two game, you know, Eastern, uh, you know, like, it's pretty much an Eastern road trip there. Um, so, I mean, that that's going to be tough. And those are two tough teams. Philly's got a nasty-looking defense coming in. And, you know, Buffalo, I think, has a top-three defense in football uh, with what Sean McDermott's done. So, I mean, when I look at this team, I, I definitely see what you mean. They're, they're easily, in my opinion, a playoff team with seven uh, spots. Uh, where they fall in those spots, five, six, or seven, because I have the 49ers winning the division, I don't know. But I also wouldn't be shocked if the Rams won the division either. I think they're the team that has the most upside, uh, but it's just not fair based on how much uncertainty is there uh, to give them the nod of winning the division. I mean, that just sounds entirely biased on my point. No, I, I get it. I think in the NFC West this year is going to be probably the most competitive division. 
you expect, 100%. yeah, 100%. you expect Arizona to take a major step forward. We've seen their offseason moves. They've got a, a great young quarterback. I just want a, a quick prediction between both of you. So we'll start with you, Jake, and then let's give me your record. I know it's really early, but give me your record prediction for for the Rams right now. Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna stick with eleven and five. Um, okay. I could see max. I could see probably thirteen and three. But I mean, like things would have to go perfect in my opinion, and I don't see them going perfect. I think they're gonna be able to win those games that are you're sitting there and you're like, this is a growing pains type of game. This is a game where you probably win if you had, uh, you know, that team from last year. But the fact you have to adjust. Uh, you know, they're going to go through those games, but I think the Rams are good enough to win those games. And I think Sean McVay, you know, his record speaks for itself since he's been with the Rams, uh, that they can, of course, win those games. Right. Alexis? Um, I have the Rams going 10 and 6. I did a schedule breakdown for an article that I wrote for uh, Downtown Sports Network um, about two months ago now, where I kind of broke down each team in, in the schedule prediction. Um, and I had the Rams going 10 and 6. Um, I, I could see them going anywhere from honestly like eight and eight to 13 and three. I just feel like the Rams are one of those teams that, that it's really hard to predict, predict what they're going to do. Um, but I think the safest bet, uh, just based on kind of the NFC West and their competition this year is 10 and six. Okay. Yeah, that's, I agree completely. Really? Um, I do this to everybody that we have on. Sorry to both of you, but. Who are your dark horse playoff teams for this season? Um, uh, that's a really good question. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to look at two. I'm going to look at the NFC. Um, the Carolina Panthers are going to win that division. I what? think. I know it's crazy, but yeah, it's a little crazy. Yeah, that, that I will. I will say that is the first time we've heard that. I'm, I'm <laughs> interested to see what you have to say. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I really like the, what they've kind of put together. I'm a big fan of Matt Rule. Everywhere he goes, you know, he changes the culture. I mean, he's really – he's a program starter. I mean, keep in mind what he did. He went to uh, Baylor, and he took a team that was just mangled with all sorts of off-the-field issues and Art Riles and all that weird stuff that went on behind the scenes, and he made them a formidable opponent. I mean, he, they started to – go back to their dominating ways in the Big yeah. 12. Um, he turned around Temple. I mean, who who thinks the Temple is like a great football program? I mean, he had guys that literally followed that they said they never leave Temple. He had those guys leaving Temple to go play with him at Baylor. So why do I think that Matt Rule is good enough to, you know, turn around the Carolina Panthers? Because Matt Rule doesn't have a ton that, you know, he has to, you know, make up for. When you think about it, first off, he brings over the LSU OC, Joe Brady. He brings over Phil Snow. Chase Blackburn's the special teams coordinator. He was a uh, linebacker for the New York Giants. He has his fair share of work in special teams. He'll be a good addition there. Uh, but when you look at the, the team, I mean, they're pretty set up, in my opinion. You know, you have guys like Derek Brown, Kawan Short, Brian Burns. People that, like, are forgotten as the years go by, like Brian Burns. Like, he was a first-round pick last year, and people have already forgotten him. They also added uh, Gross Matos, the pass rusher from Penn State, in the second round. You talk about getting Bravion Roy 
uh, or like later on out of Baylor. So you get one of those guys that Matt Rule's familiar with. You add him in the defense. Then you have Shaq Thompson. You added to here Whitehead to uh, replace the unfortunate retirement of Luke Keekley. Uh, Marquise Haynes is a solid player, not talking about Christian Miller from Alabama. Uh, but then, you know, you look at the back end of that secondary, and it's kind of fun to, to look at. I mean, Dante Jackson, in my opinion, is going to turn into one of the top corners in the league. Eli Apple really came on and revitalized his career with New Orleans. Trey Boston came back uh, and, you know, has played some pretty good football. They added Kenny Robinson, the St. Louis Battlehawk uh, standout. He's going to be fun to watch develop. And they drafted Jeremy Chin, a second rounder from Southern Illinois. The absolute Jeremy Chin. Sorry. So, you know, <laughs> they added these guys. And we're not even just talking about their offense. They have Christian McCaffrey, who's now, since Todd Gurley has kind of gone downhill, Christian McCaffrey is the best, like, offensive player, you know, not including quarterback, offensive player, offensive skill position player in football uh, to pair with the fact they have Teddy Bridgewater. And I've never been a Teddy Bridgewater fan. I always thought he was overrated. But Teddy Bridgewater does one thing extremely well. He manages the games and limits turnovers. And that's what you need when you have that defense, and you have the offensive line that they have. I mean, you're talking about having Russell Okun. They spent a premium to get Matt Paradis from Denver. Uh, you know, Taylor Moten, Dennis Daly. I really like John Miller. Um, you know, I, I think their offensive line is solid. You look at the weapons. They added Robbie Anderson for agency from the New York Jets. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Farrell Cooper, Seth Roberts. I mean, they have some guys there. And their tight end, Ian Thomas, people don't know who he is yet. But I think he's going to be a stud. So, you know, all across the board, I think that Carolina is set to shock people. Uh, but then, as far as the N, uh, the um, the AFC goes, because that's my NFC team, the AFC Dark Horse team, I'm going to say is Denver Broncos. Thank okay. you. It's, all right. It's, it's, Denver Broncos are going to be very good this year. And part of the reason is because, you know, the post-Peyton Manning era hasn't been as kind to them as maybe they expected. Uh, but they got Drew Locke, and Drew Locke, I think, is exactly what they needed. He solidifies the quarterback position. They have that Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon tandem this year that I'm really intrigued to see. But, I mean, they got Drew Locke weapons, uh, you know, just talking about the receiving game. I mean, you know, they added uh, Albert O, who he played with at Mizzou. Uh, you know, they get um, Noah Fant last year in the draft. But then you talk about adding Jerry Judy, adding K.J. Hamler. Uh, adding Tyree Cleveland in the seventh round uh, to go with a Deshaun Hamilton, to go with Cortland Sutton. Uh, they added a lot of pieces for him. Lloyd Cushenberry at center. They got our guy Dalton Reisner in the second round last year. Garrett Bowles, Graham Glasgow. They have the most plug-and-play right tackle you'll ever see in Jawan James. I mean, right. that offense is going to be ready to basically click on, on all phases. But then their defense is pretty solid, too. And their defense, keep in mind, is the same defense uh, that the Bears had in 2018 when they were the number one defense because Vic Fangio is the head coach of this team. And he, of course, brought over that scheme. And I'll tell you right now, Vic Fangio is the reason the Bears have gone from uh, hero to zero in a matter of a year because he doesn't exist anymore in Chicago. They've fallen off a cliff because his defense was covering up all the issues that they had that no one realized they had. So when you look at this defense, 
You look at Bryce Callahan, who they brought over from Chicago, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, A.J. Boye. People aren't talking about that move enough. Von Miller, Todd Davis, uh, Alex Johnson, who really came on strong last year. Then Bradley Chubb. They got Jarrell Casey. I mean, the list goes on. McKelvin Ajim in the third round. This team is ready. Like, I, I think this team has a chance to maybe not win the AFC title this year because Kansas City is, you know, there. Baltimore is there, but they could be the third or fourth best team in this conference, in my opinion. Now, I, I mean, they got Jarrell Crazy for a seventh-round pick. I don't Literally know nothing. So my thing is, that's what I took. The, my dark horse is going to be the Denver Broncos. They invested so much in the offense this year. My biggest thing is, is Drew Locke going to take that next step forward? You know, Bradley Chubb, who had an outstanding rookie year, got hurt early last year. Von Miller took on more double teams last year because of it. They've got, you know, an underrated defense because of it. Yes, they lost one of their best corners, but they got A.J. Bouye, who you said. Their defensive front's going to be stout. You know, they bring in Melvin Gordon. I love what the Broncos have done. I think no one's talking about them enough, so I, I agree 100% with you. The Panthers, I, I get. I just think in a loaded NFC South, it might be a little too much, but I get, I think they're headed in the right direction. I'm not arguing with rule there. I love the Matt rule hire. I just think they're a year or two away just because of where new Orleans is at and where maybe Tampa Bay is at just because I love Bruce Arians. I'm not ready to trust Tom Brady at this age. But. I think the best thing for the Panthers is they have really low expectations. So if they go out and overachieve and win that division, like you said, not many people would expect that. But I know Nick loved hearing the Broncos, but let's kick it over to Alexis. Who are Who's your dark horse team or teams, whatever? Um, so I had two teams as well. My AFC pick was actually the Broncos as well. Um, I agree with everything go. that that Jake said. Um, I, I honestly thought that they had the best draft out of every team this year. I thought that they killed it. Um, I'm very familiar uh, with Mizzou. So Drew Locke, um, I'm a big fan. Drew Locke fan. I think he's going to play lights out this year. Um, I love how they added Albert O for him as well as, you know, obviously Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and um, all of that. And then they added a guy um, that Jake and I are really familiar with, uh, uh, I believe, uh, Natane Mutai um, on the offensive line, um, which I think is really going to help because they've got some young guys on that line as well. Um, but as far as the NFC, uh, team for me, I actually think the New York Giants are going to make the playoffs this year, and I know that that's okay, you know, kind you, of both of you have just gone out of left field with your <laughs> NFC. I'm not, I'm not against it. It just we're used to seeing you know teams that are close to the edge. The wildest team we've had in the NFC is the Cardinals. Yeah, no, but and overall, the wildest team we'd had until this point was the Miami Dolphins. Or the Jets, too. No, and they I both still... took them back after they said that and they went somewhere else, a team that was closer to the edge. So I'm not against it. But let's go, Alexis. Let's go with your, your Giants pick. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I just um, – I think the NFC East is one of the weaker divisions in the NFL right now. I mean, I'm not a okay. fan of the Cowboys right roster, the Eagles roster, or the Redskins, or I guess the Washington football team, um, their roster as well. I actually think the Washington football team is probably going to end up with the number one overall pick next year. Okay. Um, that's just something that I've been saying. I think that they're the weakest roster right now. 
Um, but I just think that because of the, the way that the NFC East looks right now, with the exception of the Cowboys could potentially maybe do something, although I just, I don't know, something about, about their team just, I doesn't scream anything special to me. I think that the problem with the Giants, honestly, last year and maybe the past couple of years, but really last year has just been coaching. And now that they've got a new coach, I mean, their team, they have a lot of talent on their team. I mean, You've got Danny Dimes at quarterback who played really well last year. So if he keeps it up, I think that that's going to be really helpful. I mean, Saquon Barkley um, is arguably the best running back in the NFL. I know it goes back, people go back and forth between him and McCaffrey. I always kind of thought that that Barkley um, was overall the better running back. But I mean, if he's not, he's a really close second. Um, And then you've got guys kind of like Evan Ingram, um, who went under the radar a little bit, but he's still a really talented player. Um, Sterling Shepard, I'm a big fan of. Darius Slayton, um, he's going into his second year. He is going to be really special this year, I think. Golden Tate, um, I think, is an above-average receiver. Um, They added a lot of guys on that offensive line, um, which I think is going to help because they have had struggles with their offensive line. The only thing really for the Giants that that would hurt them, I think, is their defense, um, and particularly their linebacking core in their secondary because – up front, I mean, you've got Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence, um, who are all pretty good. I would say that they, they are, that's a solid, uh, front line up there. Their linebacking core is a little weak, but then you've got guys like Jabril Peppers and Julian Love, who I think is going to have a standout season, um, in the secondary, um, as well as Corey Valentine back there. So I think that really the Giants, uh, have an opportunity to uh, to squeak into the playoffs because that NFC East is such a weak division, in my opinion. Um, I know, I know a lot of people don't feel the same way that I do, but I do think that they have an honest uh, shot if, if the coaching is good and if they all play to their potential. No, I, I will give you both this. You guys both came out of left field, you know, with the Panthers and giants, but you guys backed your claims up, both of you. And I love that because other reasons we've gotten is just the generic, you know, we've had NBC writers on and left and right, like saying like the Cardinals or, you know, who's another one that we've had that uh, we've had the Cardinals, the Broncos has kind of been up there. Uh, we had the Rams a couple times just because people have written you guys off. But you guys supported it with not just generic, like mainstream media, you we know, fans. Chargers. Yeah, you know what I mean? But you guys supported like starters and everything and the other division, like the other division opponents. And so I love where you guys both came with, with the NFC South and the NFC East. The NFC East is really weak. The South, I can get where you're coming with. I love rule. So I can't thank you guys both com- coming on. But one last thing before we get you guys out of here, Jake or Alexis, give us where to f- find your guys' work and find you guys on social media real quick. Give you guys yourself a shout out. Yeah, so you can find me at JK Bogan DTSN on Twitter. You can find Downtown Rams at Downtown Rams on Twitter. You can find Alexis Craft at the Alexis Craft on Twitter, Craft with a K. Um, and then we're also on Facebook and Instagram. We have our own pages on Facebook if you want to follow uh, Alexis Craft uh, dash Downtown Rams. And mine's just Jake Ellen Bogan. We have Downtown Rams. Um, and then Instagram, it's Alexis Craft, and then I'm JK Bogan, and then we have uh, Downtown Sports Network. If anybody's interested in that, you know, we're always looking for people to check that out since that covers all sports, not just Rams. So if you find yourself interested in all sports, uh, Downtown Sports Network is uh, where you want to go. 
Right on. Uh, again, thank you, Jake and Alexis. Thanks for coming on. We hope to have you guys on soon. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for having us. Again, thanks to Jake and Alexis for coming on. If you can, check out their podcast, the DT Down or Down DT Down uh, Rams podcast. Check out all their work over there on Twitter. Follow them on there. They're on Facebook, everywhere else. We'll get into what they predicted the Rams would do this year, which is where I'm at. I know you don't agree with me. I still believe they can finish third in that division. It is a, We can agree that that division is deep, but I expect the Rams to make the playoffs this year. I know you didn't with them, but... They're they're gonna be back. I know they're they have question marks about McVay. You know, you kind of offense got a little stale. I think just a new boost in there. They're not gonna have to rely on Gurley as much. I think they're gonna let golf throw the ball a little bit more, and I think they're gonna be able to run. They shouldn't rely on Gurley. Gurley's gone. I know because I just said they don't fucking have to. Yeah. You said they're no. no. Jesus Christ! I don't think it'd be anything crazy if they made the playoffs. I just don't. I think they're going to take a step back. That's I all I said. I think. I think no. That's the Jets, but uh, they're going to they're going to go eight and eight. So that's that's what I think. So I think eight to ten wins is right there, spot on. And I think that eight to ten wins puts ten wins puts you in the playoffs in this new format. Eight wins can sit. Eh. I don't know. In that NFC, AFC, I'd say that puts you right there in the playoff line. Right, in, sure. NFC, I'm not so sure it's yet. It's deep. It's I deep, think man. nine wins, yeah. you feel more. You get into that talk. It's going to be so damn deep, especially right. in your own division. You've got the 49ers. You've got the the goddamn Seahawks who got better on defense <laughs> already. And then you've got the up-and-coming Cardinals. Cardinals have to get better. Like, they have to, right? They, I mean, they, in theory, they, they yes. but better the past 15 years than we've seen what they used to be. I'm just saying, they have to win six games at least. Uh, I think they'll win nine. I'm just and saying. We're not talking about your stupid-ass records. We're talking about the interview we just did with people that know more about football than you. <laughs> they think they do. So let's go to their dark horse picks because they end up giving us two. They both agreed on the Denver Broncos, so that makes me happy. We've got more people this year saying Denver Broncos, which they can. I love what they did in the draft. I think we can all agree they had one of the best drafts. It's all depending on Drew Locke at this point. There's no question around it. If he is a capable capable quarterback with the weapons they've given him, they're going to be able to run the ball, and their defense is going to be loaded. They should be just fine. Now we're going to get into some damn question marks. Urban, I'll let you start. Alexis is... She took the Giants in the she, NFC. I mean, I got the Giants fucking going four and twelve, boys. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Alexis, you're great on the interview, but I just totally disagree. Uh, they don't have much in my eyes. They're, Danny Dimes, uh, baby. They're, yeah, like I said, they don't have much. See, I don't like Danny Dimes right. that much. I mean, you lead the league in fumbles. I know he's a rookie, but and that offensive line was trash. To their benefit, they do get to play the Redskins twice this year, right? But their offensive line still isn't really yeah. that good. And unless Saquon Barkley returns to Saquon Barkley from two years ago. Which I think he will. Which he should, but we'll see. We'll it's see. probably a good we'll thing see. that Nate Solder opted out to play because that's going to force them to actually play competitive offensive linemen this year. I mean, is that going to force their you know the number four overall pick to play on that left side? Yes. You know, you were hoping maybe you, you bring him in on the right just to slowly transition. But we've seen what Solder's done since he got there the last year. He's been garbage on that left side. Right. And Typical New Jones, leaves. Jones, I wouldn't go that far. It just looked like Solder lost it all. It's an offensive lineman. It's hard to lose that. He was a, a very good left tackle for years. Right. You can't argue that. No, I was going to. Let's go to a more questionable one, though. Jake took the Panthers, and I'd be well, okay with this if they didn't play in the NFC South. That defense just lost 
the best linebacker in the game. I don't think that's a question. No. Luke Keekley's been the best linebacker. I mean, you can put people up there with him, but he still plays at another level. Right. Yes, they've got the most dynamic player probably on offense because of what McCaffrey was able to do last year. Their offensive line has major holes. Their defensive line has major holes. They invested all seven picks on the defense. They've got a brand new head Which coach. Which they probably should have. It's fine, but they've got a brand new head coach, a brand new offensive coordinator who haven't been able to work with the players until they all just got into training camp. And they're still only doing walkthroughs basically right now. So it's going to be a learning curve. And when your learning curve means you play Atlanta twice, you play New Orleans twice in Tampa Bay, I think you're kind of screwed there. Yeah. This team's going to be probably one of the worst teams in football. It's them or the Redskins. I I, I firmly uh, believe Jacksonville. that. I don't know, man. Minshew yeah. Mania. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Obviously. Now he's cracking Chuck Norris jokes. Right. He better crack something because he's not going to be cracking a lot of the end. He's not going to be cracking a lot in the end zone. He's got that trailer. I'm sure he's got a dirty 30 back in there, a bush right. light or something. Hopefully but. he's got a couple because he's going to need it for all this heartbreak. Well, I need a beer, so let's just get into the six-pack and get this podcast over with. This is the six-pack of the week. All right, let's get that first question. All right, what quarterback has the most passing yards in Titans history, Nick? In Titans history? Does that include the Oilers? Yeah. All right, Steve McNair. No, it's Warren Moon. Warren Moon. All right, who He leads them in passing touchdowns, game wins, and I think pa- completion percent. It was just passing yards. I, I, I still I'm just taking quarters. Oh, still yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know. I mean, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just I know that McNair leads in a lot of the categories right, too. Right, right. I mean, I, that's why I picked the question. I figured you would go with Steve. I would have went with Steve myself. Uh, who uh, I could have went with Billy Bullock. Well, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> you asked the Titans, so technically you did get that right. No, it's the Titans. They're the fucking team with the. It's the Titans. It's like saying. The Browns. They don't have, like, the Browns history from... Dude, never mind. But who was the 2002 NFL MVP? Kurt Warner. Rich Gannon. Because Warner won back-to-back, so I didn't know if it was that year. So that was the year they uh, got to the Super Bowl. (laughs) That's about it. Right. Yeah. Throw 40 touchdowns. I don't know, but he... I mean, he was like... He was all to Tim Brown and Jerry Rice. And then they ran into Tampa Bay. And he threw five interceptions in the Super Bowl. If they didn't play Tampa Bay, and if Tampa Bay didn't know every fucking play they were going to run, he probably would have, you know, had a better shot in the Super Bowl. But who has the most sacks in Falcons history? Ooh. Little Travis question. I know. I mean, you can take it if you want, Travis. (laughs) Don't talk. Shut up, Reeves. Go ahead, Reeves. Is it John Abraham? It is. Bastard Jets. These are yeah. Way to trade him away, <laughs> dumbass. Who was the two? Who was the two thousand three defensive rookie of the year? <laughs> Fuck, man. Hey, I got to come up That's with something every funny. week. Yeah, so it would have been the 03, 04 season. So 04, I would have. So it was a bad team that had defensive players. Seven, I wouldn't go that way. You wouldn't go that way? I wouldn't go that way, just a hint. 2000. You said defensive rookie of the year? Yeah. I It's wrong, but I just go, I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, Ed Reed. It's Terrell Suggs. Hey, you got the team right. Right. All right. Who led the league in rushing in 2015? 
Jamal Charles. I don't fucking know. Adrian Peterson. Oh, that's cool, man. What player? I mean, you can get mad, but it's trivia <laughs> questions. <laughs> like, I mean, what do you want me to do? What player we has... Talk, no, no, no. We talked about this in like episode one or two. We weren't going to say like in week six. That's not what that is. You're kind of getting fucking, into that because now you're just picking out like random fucking years. Yeah, what do you want me to do, man? It's fucking trivia. <laughs> Nothing's happened. I just really don't like What player it's has the wild. most interceptions in Colts history? Oh, fucking Christ. Um, it's not Buchanan. God damn it. He played in the 80s and early 90s. I'm going to say Buchanan, but that's not a hit. Bobby Boyd. Okay. 57 interceptions. Yeah. Okay. Well, that fucking sucked. I think that's the first time I've got <laughs> one question right. Um, damn. All right. Well, next week we're going to have a couple more interviews on. We'll have those later out. We'll get into the question of the week. Stay safe. We're almost back to football starting. We're almost a full month away, so I can't fucking wait. So. We're going to start next week doing division previews and picking division winners. So. Okay, so Atlanta Falcons. All right, cool. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what division we're doing next, but tune in. Yeah, thanks for Travis and Reeves coming on. Um, hopefully Reeves won't be on anymore, and we need to get some sponsors. We need that million dollars, folks. Come on. Put it in my back pocket, baby.